Hello, hello, and welcome to The Mental Matchup, a podcast where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will ever face, the matchup against their own mind. Today, I'm here with Shelby Milne, and we talk, talk we talk a lot about, about a lot of different things, um, from growing up in upstate New York to playing college lacrosse at Hofstra to finding your value outside of, you know, outside validation that we may get from our parents, our friends, our coaches, our sport and accolades to, you know, talking about mental health and, you know, mental illness and how it's kind of a spectrum, her own story, her own experience with mental health. And what I think was was a big takeaway for me is like your competitive mindset, you know, like sometimes we have to taking a step back and thinking through, is this a healthy competitive mindset to have, or is this, you know, unhealthy, um, as well as personalizing experience and focusing more on, you know, looking internally versus externally and victimization. And I am just so, so, so excited. I'm so grateful Shelby could join me. And Shelby also wrote a beautiful article for The Mental Matchup, which you can find at The Mental Matchup. But with that, let's dive right into the episode. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on The Mental Matchup and joining us. I am so excited to dig a little bit deeper into you and your story. Um, For those listening, Shelby wrote a piece for The Mental Matchup, which you can go read. Um, But having having her live and, you know, talking, talking, not in person, but over, over podcast, um, is even more epic. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having, having me. Um, I'm excited to kind of share a little bit more about, um, the article that I wrote and just, you know, go into a little bit more depth about my experience and kind of what I've learned and what I can kind of give to you all, um, from the lessons that I've learned. Awesome. Do you want to give the audience a little bit of background on who you are, what you did, what you do, kind of yeah. a little spark notes? Yep. Um, so, so yeah, like my introduction, I'm Shelby Milne. Um, I'm originally from Syracuse, New York. Um, I think I grew up in the same household my whole entire life. And uh, I went to Hofstra University where I played women's across for four years um, down on Long Island. Um, and so that was kind of like the sports experience. I mean, growing up, I've played close to almost every sport. Well, not every sport, but, you know, soccer, basketball, softball, baseball, um, any kind of sport you can find on the streets, um, like, uh, street hockey, uh, T-ball, all those types of things. Um, my neighborhood had it. Um, and then kind of the soccer basketball and lacrosse followed me into the middle school, high school um, experiences. And then, like I said, I was able to um, fortunately continue playing lacrosse through college. Um, And now, you know, you can find me playing co-ed soccer and co-ed basketball, which is great. But after there, um, so the other other piece um, when I was at Hofstra is I was an athletic training student, um, which definitely was a really challenging experience, multitasking and kind of doing both. Um, but the athletic training experience, um, kind of gave me the next step in my life, which I went up to Ithaca, New York, where I was a graduate assistant at Cornell university. And that's when I started learning about, um, sports psychology with the master's program at Ithaca college. So the program was really great tailored together, graduate assistantship, you know, delaying those real life experiences and then um, still getting my master's in sports psychology. Um, And from there, kind of the continuation of the athletic training career continued. Um, I, you know, networking, that's really where it proved that networking is everything, doing a really good job, um, utilizing your resources. So from there, um, I knew, you know, my boss knew someone at Penn that was hiring for 
a football position. And so I ended up in the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, which is where I'm still at um, as an athletic trainer. But, you know, I think it was maybe like three weeks. Um, I felt like I was the youngest person to ever experienced an existential crisis. I was walking out of my job, going to catch the train like I do every day after work. And I just felt like um, that wasn't where I was supposed to be. Um, quite literally location wise, but also to just in my life and where I was meant to go. Um, and so, you know, I started, I thought it would be enough just to kind of do the applied sports psychology on its own. Um, but quickly I started to realize that I need a little bit more if I wanted to work with the human being um, as a whole. And so I think it was probably about a year that I started looking into programs um, and I found an executive program at Penn, which so allowed me to do this, the work because I needed to financially make money, but it also allowed me to get the education and experience I would need to, to become, or to gain my master's in, um, in school and mental health counseling. Um, so I got the, so, I mean, I'm graduating next or this, this weekend. Um, so I will be able to say that I'm a master's in mental health or school and mental health counseling. Um, but, and so that's, you know, this is like, that really brings me to where I am um, present day. So that's really exciting um, and kind of bring everything full circle being on um, your podcast this week. That's awesome. Um, wow. Okay. So let's, let's start in terms of like mental, mental health awareness in high school. Was there any, did you ever deal with any mental health? like, like situations, whether it was you or someone else close to you or like dining room table talks, like, was there mm-hmm. ever any mention of mental health before you got to Hofstra? So, yeah. So the mental health was never a dining room topic. Um, I actually like, don't think that it was ever discussed. I think it was visibly seen, um, just like the depression piece, the anxiety piece, um, my whole family, but my brother's um, were high performing in school and in, in sports. Um, my mom was high performing in her job. Um, you know, I think that the competition between my mom and dad, right. Like being like my mom being the breadwinner, like that's just like gender wise, right. That creates a very competitive culture. And so, and I'm not saying competitive in a good way. So I think the vis- visibly it was there, but like spoken, we never really had those conversations. Um, but when it comes to sports, so, at my high school, West Genesee, for anyone that um, is familiar with, so I went to high school from 2008 to 2012. And so around that time, even before me, our lacrosse community, our lacrosse um, like standards were very high. Like all three years that I was on varsity, were, we went to states every year. And when we didn't win states, it was like shell shocking. Like people, you know, you would think that we were playing for a national title. Um, and so my freshman year, um, I was a little bit late to the game to play lacrosse. So in L- or in middle school, um, I was like a little bit behind the ball. So transitioning from eighth grade to ninth grade, I played in every league I could get my hands on. I just figured um, if the more lacrosse I played, the better I could get. And the more lacrosse I played with people at higher levels, hopefully the better I could get. So even though like I was constantly losing in almost all of the drills or games or whatever it may be, um, I was hoping that that would just make me a better player. And so being as Western Sea Lacrosse held a really high standard, um, it was very difficult to kind of make varsity as a freshman. I mean, I knew that wasn't going to be in the cards for me just because of how late I was and you have to be asked to play. But for me, I was really hoping that I could make JV. Um, and so I tried out for JV, you know, I think there was this, a little bit of praise that like, I had such a good tryout. Um, obviously me being my worst critic is I, I kept, you know, doubting myself to motivate myself to, to be better and play better and make sure that there was no excuses like that. I could not make the team and I will never forget, um, my freshman year, um, you know, you go like, they call you back and they ask you how you thought your tryout was. And I was like, I think that I played pretty well. Um, and next thing I know, I found out I didn't make the JV team as a freshman. So that meant that I would play freshman lacrosse as if that's not good enough. Um, but it wasn't good enough. And so what I saw what happened was a lot of my friends who also played lacrosse ended up making JV. And so 
the one thing, you know, I think a lot of my friends can attest to is that there was some political reasons why I didn't make the JV team. Um, and so I think that I hung on to for far too long and even to this day, if you will. Um, but after not making that team and kind of being isolated and I'm not feeling good enough, I did go through, you know, looking back like a depressive episode, if you will. Like I, there are so many like hangouts that I, that I declined. There's so many invites to different events or like, I'll, I'll never forget my friends went to go see Justin Bieber. And I said, no, I didn't want to go because I just felt like I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be around people. And so thinking back, like I definitely went through a depressive episode after, you know, whether it was just being isolated from my friends or like that general feel of not feeling good enough or being good enough for making a JV team. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, it was, you know, I still took that mentality. I played every league, every, um, you know, every, every league or every, um, group of lacrosse I could get my hands on, whether that's pickup or structured lacrosse. And it paid off because next year I made varsity as a sophomore, which is still kind of unheard of. But, um, that year I definitely went through a bout of depression for sure, but it was never like named, um, until I kind of, you know, looking back on that experience. Yeah, that's wild. Um, that's insane. Like fresh, like freshman diversity. I think about like the, I mean, our, my high school is not like that necessarily. Like one freshman a year would make varsity, um, but unheard of to like make a huge leap from freshman to varsity. So I'm curious, you're, you say you're late to the game, you work really hard. Like I sometimes think that like, sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't like, you can work as hard as you want, but sometimes things just don't click for certain people. I'm assuming things did click because like you, you know, you made varsity. What was the decision like to like pursue a collegiate career? Yeah. You know, I can't say that. That's a really good question. And I, I don't think it was necessarily a decision. You know, I think it was, well, obviously it was a decision. Um, I really like can't think back to like that moment where I, well, I will tell you this. And so, you know, we, there a lot of imposter syndrome. I came home one day to like a recruiting message or recruiting message. Um, we were, that was still beyond our time at that point. I came home one day to an envelope from Duke University um, from their women's lacrosse program. And in it was an interest letter from the coach and just information about Duke women's lacrosse. And I remember getting the letter and like interrogating each of my family members about like who sent this to me because this, there's no way that this could be real. Um, and so, you know, after, after a thorough investigation, I, you know, I did, I, you know, I realized that it was real and that maybe I could go um, to college for lacrosse. And I think that's kind of when I took it a little bit more seriously um, in terms of like looking at schools, reaching out to schools. I think from that day, you know, I was just like, I, I, you know, I definitely, yeah, took it a little bit more seriously, but, you know, I think for me, one of the biggest things when I was in high school is that I wanted to win a state championship so bad. Um, and my friends will like tell you that, like, there is one thing that I was not leaving that high school without, and it, that was it. Um, so it was like, it was kind of hard to think two steps ahead for myself when I was there, because that was like the really, like the big, the biggie for me when I was in high school is, is, is yeah, winning a state championship. Did you like, you sat, I feel like I see some of myself in you in that or at least in your story where you're very driven and like, you know what your end goals are. Did you ever feel like at times it was like almost like too much? And like, we can get into this in college, but almost like to the point of like wearing you down, grinding you down. If you didn't reach those goals, you like almost couldn't function. Like I've had points where I'm like, oh my God, I can't even like I get mm -hmm. so obsessive. I get obsessive thoughts about like the one thing I want to do. And yeah. I'm like, everything else is great. Everything else is like amazing. But the one thing that I'm like striving for 
isn't working out and I can't figure out why because I'm doing everything that's in my control and it just like yeah. I don't think that so there's a little bit of like burnout it sounds like you're talking about um yeah so there is a little bit so I will say this um I didn't experience that kind of the feeling that you're talking about until college um and I don't know if it was just like I I mean, as I, as I like have developed, I've kind of gone like on a, I mean, ups and downs, ups and downs, but like in, in high school, I was very like type B. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know the research on whether like being type A or type B is very stagnant, but like, I feel like looking back on my experience, I have kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, and I've gone from like type B, like, like a little bit more relaxed, like kind of not thinking about the goals so much, just, just like literally quite literally being, um, and just working every, like just being in the moment. And then through college, I think it started like that. And then like through my, my freshman year specifically, I just was so happy to be there. Like when I got to play my freshman year, I was like, wait, what is happening? Like, is this is like, and I, you know, the, the moment that I recognized and all not fresh, the, all the freshmen weren't playing. I was kind of like, wait, like maybe this is, maybe this is like, means I'm kind of good. Like I can actually do this. Like I'm proving myself wrong. And then I think once I like set that expectation of myself freshman year, going into my sophomore year, like coming back and not meeting those expectations or kind of, you know, thinking that that my whole life I've made these like leaps and bounds that like, oh, I am, when I come back, I'm going to get A, B and C done. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get these accolades and I'm going to be known for this. Um, so I wouldn't say, I don't think that I, I felt that way until my sophomore year. Uh, like kind of coming back after my freshman, freshman to sophomore year, um, where I set those expectations for myself. Um, I think that's probably where kind of like that, like compulsive drive, um, that like turned into burnout really started to develop. Do you want to take us into like how you ended up at Hofstra? What kind of the pool was there? Cause I feel like Long Island, it might as well be like a different state. (laughs) Um, and I, I feel like from like, just like outside looking in and just like, you know, I mean, I don't know if we ever played, we never played Hofstra, but like looking at like Stony Brook's roster, like a lot Mm -hmm. of those girls are Long Island girls. Like what, what was that decision like to like go to Hofstra? Yeah. Um, so to be very like transparent with you. So when I was growing up, so probably mostly through my high school career, finance finances were like really stressful in my household. Um, I just remember there being a lot of difficult conversations around money. Um, I remember seeing like a lot of, um, you know, just like relationship issues in my household, whether it be between my parents, between myself and my parents, between my brothers and my, you know, between my siblings, um, you know, the root of it it was always like something to do with finances, um, money. And so um, I did get a really good scholarship deal from Hofstra. And so that honestly was like a huge deciding factor for me. Um, And, you know, I think going back, I would have if I, if I realized that that didn't have to be like kind of my responsibility to take on the finances, although I wasn't really taking them on, um, I don't know if it would have been the same, but at this point, you know, like I'm super happy with the decision that I made. Um, and it's just so funny because like my first trip down to Hofstra, I fell asleep the whole ride in the car. Um, and I didn't really know the context of like Hofstra. So it's in Hempstead. Um, and I will, you know, I am like, Hempstead turnpike till I die, but like, it's like, it is like gritty down there. And so for me, it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm from upstate New York. Like I love the woods and I'm, I'm a crunchy human being. So it's like, it was not like who I was. Um, and I kind of didn't know that. And so going down, like you said, like a lot of people, like there was a lot of Long Islanders. There was also a lot of Marylanders. Um, but but yeah, I think ultimately like, which is like, yeah, like I said, if I could go back and change it, like maybe I would, but I don't really know because I was happy with the outcome. Like some of my best, best friends are from the, like when, the, t- the years that I was at Hofstra and those types of things. But finances was a huge, huge part of the decision-making process. And I don't think my parents actually know that. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was probably, I probably pulled like 75%. Um, and just to like the coaches, like seemed like they needed me. Um, and so I think that like really fed into like the validation of me being good at a sport, which, you know, my mindset at that point was 
wow, if I'm good at lacrosse and people think I'm really good at lacrosse and really want me, that means that I am a good person. Um, so I think, you know, those two put together, it was like done deal. Finances are hard. I had like somewhat of a similar experience growing up where like whenever money was involved, there were raised voices or there was like, no, like we can't get that right now. Or like, no, like you can't have any money, you know, to go to Chipotle or the movies with your friend. Like mm-hmm. it was like, yeah. like very, very tough. Um, and I felt, I mean, I, I went to Duke and my parents like were like their big thing was like, they're going to pay for us to get, go through school. But like, it was tight at school. Um, and going to a school like Duke was always tough because it felt like everyone was able to just like swipe their card. And I was like, oh, like I have extra studying to do or like, oh, I have to go do this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like, it's like, I just didn't want to like bug my parents for yeah. more money. Yep. Um, and I mean, that definitely played a part in like my, how I viewed my value as like a human. Um, but yeah. So Okay. So you get to Hofstra, you made that decision. What's freshman year like at Hofstra? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was so fun. Um, fun is the first word that comes to mind. I just, I didn't, you know, it was, I'll never forget. Um, so my freshman year, we had stretching buddies and Marianne Miller, um, who was probably the best stretching buddy ever. Um, I'll never forget the first day And she, so she's a grad, she's a graduate student. She's been on the team. She's, you could, she's so beloved. Like you, you know, she's the heart and soul of that team and she wants to be my stretching buddy. So obviously I internalized that. Um, But she really was a great mentor for me my whole freshman year. Um, But she looked at me. So she is standing over me, like, you know what I mean? Looking me at the, looking at me in the eyes, like stretching my hamstrings and she's giddy. Like, her body is like vibrating with how excited she is. I think we're about to run the run test or something. So I'm like, you know, for me, I'm like not excited at all. And she is like, yeah, like vibrating. She is so excited. And she looks at me and she's like, are you excited? Um, Like you nervous? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, both. Like, I have no idea what's about to come. And she's like, well, she's like, this is the best year ever because you, you know, you have nothing to lose. And I like never forgot that my whole entire freshman career. and I, I honestly think that's probably the expectation that got like allowed me to create a mindset that was so free flowing um, because I did play. I played a lot of my freshman year um, and I ended up being like a part of this all CA rookie team, you know what I mean? And things that I never thought that I'd be able to do. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Shelby in a second. I'd like to take a moment to talk about Morgan's Message, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's Message is a nonprofit founded in 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers. They're amplifying stories, resources, and expertise to confront student-athlete mental health. We are building a community by and for athletes and providing a platform for advocacy. Morgan's message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. To help us take a shot at mental health to support our mission or to find out more, head to morgansmessage.org or follow along on Instagram at morgansmessage. Let's get back to Shelby. Okay. So freshman year, freshman year went really well. I, I agree. I think that like, and I mean, easier said than done. And I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to just like set, like, I have no expectations. Like, I just want to have fun. Like I used to try to tell myself that in college, I'd be like, we'll just have fun. Like, remember why you play it, but it's like, mm-hmm. again, easier said than done, but I will say, yeah. I mean, it's like, the proof's in the pudding. Like you can tell some of like some of the girls I played with who just like were like whatever. Like either it was like whatever, like they're gonna play me no matter what, or whatever, like they're not gonna play me. Like they always ended up playing better, playing looser, and like were mm-hmm. like less stiff or like hard on themselves. Their body language was better when they were just like not like dicking around, but like you know, like 
have, having fun. Um, yep. So freshman year ends, I'm assuming you're like, I love it here. I'm excited to get back. Um, and then we get to sophomore year. So what was sophomore year like? Yeah. So, <laughs> so sophomore year was really, really tough. Um, well, so the other thing too, is I think I went in my freshman year and then after my freshman year, I was kind of feeling myself a little bit too much. I think I was like, wow, I can't believe that I like played, you know, like, I can't believe I was able to do as much as I did, could like all this stuff. So another school that I was looking at was Syracuse. And so I remember sitting down with my parents being like, I think I want to transfer. Meanwhile, it has nothing to do with location. It has nothing to do with like individuals. And it, it has all to do with lacrosse, right? Like I want to be challenged. Like at this point in my life, I've done nothing but challenge myself. And so my first year, right? Like it really was like, I was challenged academically because I was trying to pursue something I, I would never do. Um, and I had no purpose about it, but lacrosse, like not saying it was like easy, but I was like, oh, this is what it takes to get on the field. Um, as if I didn't put in all the hard work beforehand. Um, and so, you know, I started to think about like how, like I was too good for the program, you know, like I never externally like talked about this, but in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, if it's this easy, just come in and play, then man, maybe I should go somewhere different. So I started to kind of shift my mindset and there was a little like lack of buy-in like I wasn't transferring. Um, and so I think I went in, so I went in my freshman year and I, you know, I kind of, I would never like be like, oh, like, you know, like walk around like the big man on campus, but it's like, I came in less prepared. I wasn't doing the run test over the summer and it showed. Um, I wasn't working on my stick skills. I was, or I wasn't working. My stick skills was the one thing, you know, kind of the bout, the depression bout that I was talking about earlier when I was my freshman to sophomore year. I mean, I played countless hours of wall ball. Like I cannot tell you the amount of wall ball I played. So my stick was okay, but like footworks, things that were really important to like building like a defensive, like, I, I don't want to reference this as like a, a physical experience, a, a physical appearance, but you know, the physique of like a defender. Um, and I just lost my drive. And so that was like so evident in my play. And so as I started to decrease in terms of like, comp like being a competitor, that was the other thing too, is like, I was really, I was like that annoying, like per my freshman year, like people had to like seniors were getting mad at me because I didn't care that I was a freshman and I would knock people over. You know, I would do like illegal checks and things like that. But I just, I didn't think that there's anything bad about that because I just was competing. And so my fresh, my sophomore year, I lost that edge a little bit and it was so visible. And so it quickly turned into like, it's a you, not me thing. So I was blaming the coaches, you know, like I think I got to the extent and I have a really great relationship with my coach at this point, but, and I mean, we joke about how like the highs and lows of my college career, but I, at one point I literally was like, my coach does not like me. And that is why I'm not playing. Um, I, you know, and that was like a story that I like started to create in my head. Like she does not like me. I will never play, man. Every, it doesn't matter how hard I work because even if I do work hard, she's never going to play me because she doesn't like me. And so, you know, what I'm talking about is this idea of a confirmation bias, which I think a lot of student athletes can probably like, you know, I think it's really hard to like look within yourself and be like, oh my gosh, this is not a them thing. This is a me thing. And I will say, you know, I think there are politics in collegiate like sports and sports in general. So I can't speak for everyone, but for my situation, and I think a lot of situations, it is a both and, or like an, a me thing over a them thing. And so, but for me, I was so, I was in the thick of it, right? Like there was no seeing outside the woods. Like it was, it was, it was, it was her, it was her, it was her. I didn't understand her. Meanwhile, like I didn't understand me. I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't know who I was in that moment. Like those are not my values to not be driven, to not be competitive, to not, um, and I was not raised that way. So I really lost myself that year. Um, it was extremely difficult to sit on the bench. Um, and this was just through fall ball, mind you, like, this is where all of this started to kind of come together. And I remember having my end of the season meeting for fall ball and being like, what do I need to do to play? Like, will you ever play me? Right. Like as if I deserve an answer in that moment. Right. Like, okay. But you know, I 
I started to gain back my like edge, my competitiveness. Um, I wasn't playing or starting at the beginning of the season, but I ended up working my way to back to a starting position. Um, and then at that point, you know, it was kind of like, man, well, maybe if you played me at the beginning, I, we would have won or as if I had the human capacity to control a whole game. Like, I mean, yeah. So it was just like one of those, I really, really created this story in my head and this narrative became true. Nothing else could have been factual, right? And obviously like I have friends and teammates who are telling me that I should be playing and that to not to listen to my coach. And so nothing is helping me, right? So I am so in the thick of it. No one is telling me differently, um, but it really was for me um, it was a me thing and not a her thing. And I, you know, I think it was, I really lost myself there being like victimizing myself to that situation. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my sophomore year. Yeah. I mean, I think though that that like, isn't like an uncommon story. No. Like I, that's, I think everyone at some point in general, not even like athletes, right? Like I think there's always going to be like a, it's a them, it's not me. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a lot of like self-awareness and self-reflection to be like, well, maybe it is me or like, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe it is some of them, but like, like I control how I act. I control how I react to situations mm -hmm. and like, you know, just like trusting that reacting the, I'm like using air quotes, like the right way. Right. Like, yep. even if your coach doesn't like you, who cares? Right. Like if that's what you mm -hmm. think, like, whatever, like, I think it's like being yeah. like a little bit of na like naivety as like, like young kids climbing a tree, like they don't think they can get hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. They're just like climbing, mm -hmm. climbing, whatever. Like, I think it's the same thing. Like, like your coach doesn't like you, someone on your team doesn't like you, like almost like pretending like they don't and not letting that be the blocker because then it almost becomes like an excuse. And then you mm -hmm. hinge to that excuse. Like, well, I'm not performing well because I know she doesn't like me and I know I'm not going to play. So like, why even try? And then mm -hmm. it's like, you're, you're letting what you think you don't even know, right? Like you're letting what you think dictate how you go about your life. Like what? Like, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I think it's yeah. like having a yeah. little bit of like being naive to like the, some of these external factors and just being like, whatever, like, well, if they did, if they did love you, like, you know, would you still be playing? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's dive into kind of like the mental health aspect of your story. So you're in this, like, like, I feel like, and you can correct me if like, this isn't how you would, you know, frame it, but like almost like victim mentality, right. Mm -hmm. Them, not me. Um, does that like, play a huge part in, you know, walk us through that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think in terms of just like, you know, like the mental health. So it's like, for me, you know, obviously looking back on like all my experience in general, and I spoke to this a little bit in my article, but it's like, I, I see mental health now on like a, a spectrum, if you will. So it's like in that moment, like those thought processes, right. That I was having, like the, like the victimization, right. So at that point, those thoughts, right, were leading me kind of down like a path of like just negative thoughts. And the, the thing about human beings is that we, we are negatively, like we are negative track-minded people. Like it is so much harder for us to think positively than it is for us to think negatively. And so for me, it was super easy. Like I was like, okay, we're going down this way and we're going to go down quick. Um, and so I think climbing out of that hole is really hard. So in that moment, I wouldn't say that like, in terms of my mental health, like I was still, I was still okay. Um, like, I think what really started to tip, tip my like, you know, like, or like started to like push the mental health more. So if we're looking at it, if you, if you can visualize like, you know, the spectrum, like an arrow going both ways. And so mental health, like, like is the overarching thing of it all. On the right-hand side, you have like mental thriving, mental fortitude. So that's what like athletes want to strive for. Like we want, we want them to be really successful in really stressful moments. Like we, you know, we want cool, calm, collected when a student athlete needs to make a buzzer beater. And then on the left, we're thinking mental illness. And so what I think is happening right now, unfortunately, is that we're equating mental health with mental illness. 
And this is getting us in a really tough spot because, you know, I, I think I also mentioned this in my article too, but it's like, we are getting in a spot where like, you see people saying like, oh, she walked away because of mental health reasons. And it's like, sure. But like, that's creating a negative connotation and mental health is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So in that moment, I think, you know, when I think about this victimization, I think my mental health was being tested. Let's put it that way. And I was succumbing. Like I was like, I was falling. I like, I was letting myself fall victim to this. Right. But it's also like, I was never taught. I don't, I didn't know how to rebuttal that situation. And a lot of student athletes aren't. Um, but it's also because I put so much value in my identity as a lacrosse player. So it was, you know, I think like it was definitely testing, right? Like it was kind of teeter tottering there. What really tipped me was more so like my value and how much weight I put into being like my identity as a lacrosse player. So after that season happened, you know, I had my end of the year meeting and you could probably assume how that end of the year meeting went. Um, and I went home that summer and I was like, I am, I am like, I'm going to show you that I, like, I didn't deserve this summer. Right. So I like slowly turned this victimization into like a motivator, which like, I think I got to an extent of it being unhealthy. Um, right. Like not good, not bad, but it was just like unhealthy. And the reason I say unhealthy is because, you know, I saw good lacrosse players and they were lean. And so what did I do? I, I altered all of my eating habits and the amount of exercise that I was doing. So, you know what I mean? Like I caught out carbs the whole summer. I literally dropped probably 20 to 30 pounds over that summer. Um, and so, you know, for me, I equated small body to good lacrosse player. And if I could get small, then I, I, they'd give me no reason. They could give me no reason that I would not play. I, you know, I think that summer, all I did was run. Um, I played a lot of lacrosse. I didn't socialize as much. I remember many, many times coming home from like a nine o'clock summer league game, being starving, like opening the cupboards and like just wanting a little snack and being like, you know, like this snack will make you a bad lacrosse player and close the cupboards, right? Like I was starving. Like I like just worked my butt off in, in a summer league game. Also too, thinking back at my time in college, I wish I ate more because now I just can't do that. But um, so I think that's really like the, the biggest thing for me at that moment that I, you know, I didn't really see coming on as much. And I, you know, you know, go, kind of circling back to like, was the mental health piece like ever talked about is like, I think my parents saw something unhealthy developing, but they didn't really know how to go about it. And then the other thing too, is like, I come back from the summer, I dropped 20 to 30 pounds and, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, you look so great. And I'm like, yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to keep this up. So I think that like I did, I, you know, my relationship with my food and my relationship with my body and my relationship with exercise is like forever flowing. I was just having a conversation with one of my friends earlier and, you know, she was talking to me about she's, she had, she's had a bad injury and now she's worried about like not being able to exercise. And, I, and it's hard, especially being a female. But so I think that piece is really where I started to see pieces of like actual like concern for my mental health kind of show through and like not in that exact moment, but when like they didn't stop after the summer, like I came in and it became a stressor and became extra weight, if you will, pun intended, that I was carrying around now that like, you know, I was restricting and I was dependent on exercise because not only does it make me feel good, but like, I truly believe, believe that exercising would make me better. So the more exercise, the better I would become at lacrosse. And so I think those connections and those like causations, if you will, which isn't a causation, um, was kind of where I started to see like more like of the mental health, like concerns, right? Like unhealthy mental health start to blossom. I think it's so interesting that you, because I think a lot of us do this subconsciously, um, or maybe consciously too, but like you looking at someone who is like probably a different completely different body type than you, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone carries their weight differently. Like you could be, you could take a size four and something someone else could take that same size, but like your bodies are so different, right? So mm -hmm. like, hey, like, but it's so interesting to me that like that, that equation your mind made where it's like, okay, well, if I look like that, or if I get to that weight, like I must, it must 
will allow me to like be just like a better athlete. Like I think Mm -hmm. people, people do that in terms of like, like, I mean, speaking as a female, right? Like I know in high school, I was like taller than most of my friends. They were all like five, two and like little teeny boppers. And like, Mm -hmm. I have like a butt, like I have a different body shape. And I remember thinking, okay, well, like maybe if I'm like smaller, the guys will like me, but like, I never like acted on it, but I'd always be like, oh, that's why like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not getting like attention. It's because of like this and like, no, that's like probably not why, like you probably are getting attention. You're just like making, you know, storylines in your head. And it is, I think it's very dangerous for like, especially with like social media these days. And this doesn't just like apply to athletics. And I like hope like young people are getting more and more educated on like how there's so many different body types and like everyone looks different and like what works for one person isn't going to work for another and like Mm. love your body no matter what but like yeah people are like equating their value to these Instagram models who like Mm -hmm. who knows what they're actually eating who knows what they're actually like putting in their bodies right like what you see on a screen is not what you get behind the scenes but people are like killing themselves for lack of a better term to like reach that because they think they're gonna get you know the likes yeah. or they're going to get yeah. the boyfriend or they're going to get the position on the field, like whatever it is. And it's like, yeah. and it's so real. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I wish like there are more conversations of people being like, yeah, you know what? Like I did that because I thought that that was going to get me to point A and mm-hmm. like, guess what? Like it didn't like, mm-hmm. so, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, crap. I lost my train of thought there's something else at the end you said oh the other thing I I lost a lot of weight after my junior year and I had a hip surgery and I like cut gluten out like it was like all these different things and I dropped like probably 15 pounds and a lot of it was muscle and it Mm -hmm. and like I was the smallest I've ever been and I actually did feel pretty good but that's because I wasn't actually like running like I wasn't doing the things Mm -hmm. I like needed to be doing to get back on the field yet like I was still PTing and everyone oh my god you look so good Mm -hmm. and it was like oh I look good I was like okay I'm gonna keep like eating this way and keep like trying to keep Mm -hmm. you know this off because like I must look really good like this like I started equating my value to like you know girls would be like oh my gosh like cats like you know so skinny and whatever and like being skinny does not make you like you know, it does like now I know it's, this, it's, but it's hard being like mm-hmm. 21 years old, being like, oh, and then it's that's where it like spirals. I mean, you know, yeah. And so I think that it's so like the way that humans are is really so simple, right? Like we are praised for doing something, we will do it again, right? Like we, we are, we, st- we, um, are given a, a dog with a treat. It's, it's the same thing. And like, even like, think about like for a lot of people, right? Like the external validation thing. Like if you grow up in a household, um, that like your parents, right? Like if like, if they only congratulated you or acknowledged you when you did good, right? You're always searching for external validation. And when they left you without external validation, then that must meant you were not good enough. So if you can imagine a child growing up in that environment, coming into college and then, right? Like think about a freshman, right? They go from being like big fish, small pond. They get all of the praise to going into college where there's small fish, big pond, and they're not getting any of the praise, right? That is like, they are searching everywhere, high and low for external validation when at the end of the day, the only like validation they need is from themselves, right? And so this idea of self-worth starts to plummet in a lot of freshmen. And so, I mean, you can see that like, you know, that's going to like ebb and flow throughout. And like, also too, like the biggest thing for me is like, you know, we talk a lot about sport, but these are things that are outside of sport too, right? Like you think grades, you think social, you think significant others, whether that be your boyfriend, girlfriend, um, like parents, like it does not matter. And so I think, you know, going off the point that you said is like, right, like you eat a certain way, right? And this really is like the diet circle, if you will. You, you eat a certain way, you get praise for the way you look. Like you are naturally wired to continue doing that because we're constantly looking for that. Um, and that is just a humanistic tendency. And so the same thing, like the experience for me and the words you used earlier, which like stuck with me and like, some people might be like, that's dramatic, but like, it is dangerous 
for me, right? Like I, I ate a certain way. I lost a bunch of weight. And then I came back, people were praising me, validating me for the way that I looked, which was not like necessarily like it was secondary to being better at lacrosse. Like it was just like a side piece. Like, I, like the first time someone told me I look skinny, I was like, wait, that's not even what I'm trying to look, work for right now. But then, you know, like I started to like tell myself, make stories up like, oh, maybe I'll get more attention from boys if I'm skinny, all those things. Like you said, like that was another like secondary story that I was telling myself. But then I came back, passed the run test, played really good lacrosse. So here I am, I'm, I'm getting praised for being skinny, but then I'm also getting praised for being good at lacrosse. In my mind, the only story that can actually make sense at this moment is that because I ate a certain way and worked out a certain way is, is, is why I'm now skinny and why I'm now looking and now I can play the way that I did. So the word dangerous is actually spot on when we're specifically talking about praising outcomes versus progress and for praising the way that people look based on like how they're eating and how dangerous that can become. Yeah. I, can you dive into like the tipping point, you know, of yeah. like you get back junior year? Yeah. Um, so, so I think like the real, real tipping point for me, truthfully, and like my mental health experience was probably my senior year though. Um, so I worked really hard. So we'll put it this way. So I, I obviously worked hard that summer, sophomore to junior, lost a bunch of weight and then, um, got through my junior fall, got through my junior spring, like how to, so once again, playing really good lacrosse, um, you know, at the end of that year, like I'm predicted to like be part of like the all CA team. And like, that's like huge. Like that's everything that I've ever wanted. Right. Um, but at the end of that year, we lost to Towson in the semifinals. Like it was such a tragic ending. Like we were, we were up by two and still, it was just, it was awful. And so obviously for me, I'm like, once again, right? Like I was not walking away from college lacrosse without a CEA championship and just like my high school. Right. So I did everything that I could. So, right. Like if I was, um, I'm currently reading forward by Abby Wambach and a lot of her like intense, intense Abby and, uh, chill Abby resonates with me a lot because like when I want something, I mean, I want it. Um, and so I'm like willing to sacrifice and do almost anything for it. And so my junior to senior year, I mean, the work that I put in was, was incredible. Um, and so I came back my, my senior year, I was ready to go. Like I was not letting anyone stop me. Um, I was, yeah, I just was really like, I was on and it was like compulsive. Um, and so, you know, add that the expectation is everyone's senior year is supposed to be a breeze, right? My senior year was not a breeze. I was, like I said, and this plays a huge part of this is like, I was in an athletic training program. So now I, so I was a captain my senior year. So I was a captain my senior year. I was, um, I was in an athletic training program. So I was doing the education, but I was also in an internship and I was like supposed to be in charge. You know what I mean? Like I was supposed to be really good at lacrosse and I'm supposed to be working out and I'm supposed to eat normal and I'm supposed to sleep and socialize. When all that happened, I have no idea, but it was just, you know, it was a grind. And so going into my senior fall or spring, I'll never forget. So my, you know, this idea. So when I was a child, this is when I first like started like understanding imagery is or visualization is I used to tell myself that I was like a magician. Um, and I could convince people like, Hey, I'm going to hit this ball on the crossbar. And like, I would take five minutes and I would look at the crossbar and I'd hit it. And I literally convinced myself that I was a magician, right? In my head, I would see it and then I would do it executing in real life. And so, um, you know, fast forward into um, my senior year, um, like this was kind of all coming into fruition with like, you know, those types of things. But I get to this, the senior um, year and I had a couple bad clears, like in one of the first games. and um, at that point I could only see myself give a bad clear. And meanwhile, like, like I said, I took pride in my stick. Like, although I wasn't a mid-year mid attacker, like I took pride in my stick and every clear that I threw got intercepted or like shot down. And 
I, at one point, like I was convinced that it was me. So anytime I went to go like throw the ball, I was picturing it like getting intercepted or, you know, hitting the ground. I knew that my coaches were getting really frustrated with me because obviously like turnovers in the clear are the worst. So I eventually like started getting taken out of the game and I, I was just, and so my identity, um, my reputation started to become in question. And just like, that was like on top of all the stress that I already had, turns out that the stick that I had was strung improperly. And so like, even that conversation with my coaches felt so awful, like being like, I actually am blaming it on something else. Right. So I learned from my, I learned from earlier, not like making this about me and not blaming other things, but here I am sitting in my coach's office being like, I'm telling you that it's my stick, like, you know, blaming it. And I'm not trying to play the blame game anymore, but like in this moment, I know that it is not me. It is my stick. And so after that was sorted out, you know, the, me like clearing the ball. I just lost, like, once again, my competitive edge. I lost like my tenacity. I lost like my drive. Um, and so I started to experience stress on the field, off the field. I was dealing with stressors from like my family, from relationships all across the board. And I'll never forget one day, like my, my assistant coach that I have a really good relationship with, he, um, he asked me if I was like doing all right. And I must've looked really pale and like the last couple of days of practice, I like wasn't myself. And so I went into the training room, they took my temperature and they said I had a low grade fever and that I should go home and rest for two days and not come back. What I was experiencing in those moments was burnout. Um, and which is honestly, I think back far too young for anyone to be experiencing burnout. And I think it was a combination of, you know, the amount I had on my plate and also the amount of expectations I had on myself. Um, and also too, like the worth I put in on myself as a lacrosse player. And so, you know, put those three things together, you're going to have someone at the age of 21 experiencing burnout. Um, but it's like, I went home for two days and slept two days straight. And if, if someone didn't tell me that I had a fever, because knowing what I do know is like, you can't play if you have a fever, I probably wouldn't have gone home. So I was like, you're experiencing burnout. I would have been like, okay, well, let me go back on the field and I'll just keep going. Um, so I think that was really when I experienced burnout in terms of, you know, like just way too much kind of what you had said in the beginning, kind of bringing this all full circle is like having that drive and not taking my foot off the pedal for so long, right? Like we're not meant to be under that amount of stress for that long. But like, I mean, the day that we lost that game to Towson, I think I gave myself two days and I was back at it again. And so from, you know, we're talking like early May to this is like April, right? Like that's almost a year of just like, trying to give it my hundred percent effort every day and not, not like allowing myself anything less. Um, and so just, you know, all of that together, right. Like really was setting myself up for failure quite literally. That's, that's crazy. Um, that's crazy. In terms of like, after after that kind of happened like did you have like kind of a look in the mirror like a come to Jesus talk with yourself or did it take a while for it to like hit home yeah it took it took a while um I would say like it didn't really hit me until I started like my school like when I started like learning about sports psychology and those types of things um is when I really started like putting pieces of the puzzle together and I was like wow, you know, if I knew this, you know, my, I feel like my classic, like go-to line with all of this is like, if I knew what I know now, then, you know, like I would have been a better lacrosse player. I would have been a better person. I would have been a better teammate. I would have been a better leader, all of those things. Um, and it's like, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but, um, I don't think the come to Jesus moment really happened until, and I think I'm still experiencing it, right? Like, I think a lot of student athletes really struggle with like putting that baton down, right? Like, really allowing themselves to like put that in the past and kind of turn to the next chapter. Um, and so I think for me, like, it's like, I was in athletics still when I graduated from undergrad, I went to Cornell, I was working with student athletes. I was still young. I was still active. Right. So like, I didn't know what it looked like to work out as a normal person. I didn't know what it looked like to eat as a normal person. So it's like, I was still living that lifestyle of like, go, 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 go. So it definitely took me, I mean, years to kind of have that like full, like full, kind of closure, if you will, of like what I was experiencing, why I was experiencing it. Cause it did, you know, I can't, it's like not sustainable to live like that, even as like a normal human being. Um, so it did take, you know, but like 
that lifestyle has definitely like evolved. I've, I mean, if it wasn't for that lifestyle though, I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't be where I am. So it's like, unfortunately I have to find some sort of gratitude in the experience I went through. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, when I started, when I started to, um, learn what about things in sports psychology and like the more I learned about the mental health stuff in the school now, it's like, I'm slowly putting down that extra weight that I no longer need to carry. I love that. I love hearing that. Um, I know we're like coming up on time. I am curious though, like in terms of your student athletes, like now that you're around, Mm -hmm. like, do you like, you know, do you see yourself in any of them? And I mean, UPenn is obviously like Mm -hmm. Ivy league and like their lacrosse team is, you know, usually like yeah. top 25 high performers, like across the board, not saying anyone that's not top 25 isn't, but like, no, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, do you see, see anything of like you and them? And like, I don't know, like, are you like a place of kind of like safety for them? Like, do they realize that like you get it? Cause I feel like mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes like to find people that you feel like get it or that are like yeah. open about their past experiences, especially with like so many coaches and staff members, yeah. like being very tenured, I feel like at like mm-hmm. Ivy's and I mean at Duke and yeah. so on and so forth. So yeah. what's that like? So I, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think being close in age, um, has definitely helped me create buy-in. Um, but I, I definitely, I, I mean, I also had a really great relationship with my athletic trainer. So I think a piece of me is when I like went into this, I was like, I really want to give to the athletes. I want to give back to the athletes. Like my athletic trainer gave to me and he was a safe space for me. Um, I've definitely formed that relationship. And I think, you know, I think all of my student athletes would, you know, I, based on like my open door policy, which I think some of my student athletes use and abuse that policy, but um, you know, for some days it's like, I need it more than they do. Um, But they definitely, you know, and not a day goes by that I feel like they take me for granted. Um, do I see a lot of tears? Yes. <laughs> but it's like, I think something that I really try to show them is that like, when they cry, like, it's okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have, I have a, I have a woman's across player that, um, she's phenomenal, but like, there'll be days where like, I can tell something is wrong. And so it'll take me just being like, what's going on? And she'll cry for like two seconds. And I'm like, yeah, like that sucks. Like this really sucks, but like, this is what we'll do. And this is where we'll be tomorrow. Like it will not always be this bad. It will not always feel this bad. And so I think letting them like display their emotion, which like, you know, student athletes aren't supposed to, um, makes them realize like, oh, if this is normal to like have, like to like ebb and flow and like feel certain ways. And also like, maybe like not have an explanation for why you feel some ways, or, you know, I think, so the safe space is just like, for me, like, I just normalize a lot of the stuff that they're feeling. And like, when I say normalize, like some days just like sitting in their presence while they talk and cry and like, just like, not like shy away, which means that like, oh, like, you know, I can cry and talk and vent in front of someone. And it's like, not shameful to do that. Um, or I'm not a burden to somebody else. Um, and so I think for me, like, I value that I value the safe space that, you know, it's, you know, it's like, I, I would love to sit here and be like, I created it, but it's like, I opened the door for that safe space and people used it. And so I think by that, that is like them doing their part in the relationship because like a safe space really goes two ways, right? Cause that's how trust operates. And it's like, I'm going to trust that if I open it, people will use it. And if they don't, they don't. But they also have to trust that when they come into that safe space, one, they will respect the safe space, but two, they will use it what it's meant meant to be used for. Um, and so, um, yeah, I really, you know, and I think, like I said, like, you know, there's some days where like I, that area of space, safe space, like, you know, I know I do a lot of work with the physical part, but like there's some mental parts when it comes to like injuries and stuff like that. And so I think using what I've learned in that space has been, I mean, it has been everything. Um, and also too, like, just like, especially working with the Ivy league, like we were out of commission for like two years. And so using what I've known about, like, you know, 
whether it be sports psychology or mental health, like just like being able to like rework perspective in the last two years, I've really utilized that with my student athletes and overall, um, just modeling, like modeling what it looks like, which is like so much harder than you think it is. And, you know, I think like, I am always challenging myself to be a better female for, for these student athletes, um, to, to allow them to see like someone else not be ashamed by their feelings or thoughts and be bold and brave and courageous and challenging and those types of things. And just because you are a leader and assertive and you can do all these things, you're not a bitch. Um, and so I just like, you know, I think by role modeling, giving that safe space, um, I do think that they utilize it. And I, I've, you know, I think it has created a lot of really strong relationships for me and with the student athletes that I work with. I love that. Um... Wow. Yeah. I had, I mean, you sound like you're one of the, one of the best, um, athletic trainers as well. I had the best athletic trainer in the world and I would not have made it through four years without her. Like she, mm-hmm. I even did, I even did a year of business school and I wasn't even on the team. And there were like two nights where I thought I had appendicitis. And the first night I like walked out. Cause I was like, I can't wait in the ER the second night she came and she sat with me for eight oh. hours. Like I wasn't even on the team, like from yeah, 9 PM to awesome. like 2 AM drove me home. Cause they had given me a morphine drip. Like I was like, we, that's the amazing. world does not deserve you. Like she, yeah. and I feel like that's like, it's so important. Cause I knew like I could go to her with like vulnerable things mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be turned away. So thank you for providing like that kind of safe space. Um, is there anything before we wrap that you'd like to leave our audience with, whether it's something, um, you know, that you feel is like an important piece of your story that you haven't shared yet, or just like any kind of piece of advice? Yeah. I mean, I think that my story gives me a lot of lessons that I've learned and it, you know, I am definitely someone that, um, I need to learn the hard way. Um, you know, someone could tell me something, but it's like, until I've learned it, I've experienced it, I won't actually take it in. So I do, I do realize that like the, the advice that I offer, you know, some people may not take it in or they may have to live it out to actually like fully grasp it. But I think the biggest thing is, is, um, is educating yourself. You know, when we talk about like mental health, educating yourself on mental health and what mental health really is. Um, two, I think really like sit with yourself, like sit with yourself, understand who you are outside of sport. Um, and then three, don't personalize the stuff and like the, don't like stray away from personalizing, um, kind of some of your experiences within college, specifically with coaches. So going back to the story that I told about, you know, me being like, this is me versus her. There's no versus unless it's you against your opponent. And I think we get caught up in this battle because that's what we strive for. We love competition. So I guess what I'm getting at is when you have that competitive mind, competitive mindset in, really reflect if that is benefiting you and others around you. And if it's a healthy competition that you're having, um, because some competitions are actually holding you back a little bit more than you think that they would. So I think kind of going, you know, what you had said earlier is just like having that self-awareness, really taking that come to Jesus moment. Although like, you know, I think that's, those are hard to come by when you're in college and like you're in the thick of it. Um, but, you know, just, you know, I said this in the article and I ended with this, but run your own race, not all, you know, your journey is not going to look the same and you and the person sitting next to you, you, neither of you guys want the same thing individually. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Um, no, I thank you so much for coming on. I feel like there have been so many good, like golden nuggets throughout this conversation. So I am forever grateful for you to come on, be vulnerable and share your story with us. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm grateful one for you having me on this space. Um, I, I love, if you could not tell, I, my boyfriend and I joke all the time about me having my own pop podcast and it'd be called babble. Um, because I love, love, love talking about this topic, anything mental health, psychology, sociology related. I mean, I'm there. Um, so I so appreciate you having me, um, giving me the space to kind of share what I've lived through and, you know, what I would love to leave other people, but also, you know, I think 
myself and your community is grateful that you give people this space to feel heard and kind of build this like universality um, amongst like other athletes, you know, future, past, present, whatever it may be to have this space where they feel heard and seen. So I think that's, you know, above everything else, I think that um, I'm grateful that you give people that space. So thanks for having me. Another huge shout out to Shelby for coming on and sharing so much of her personal experiences and really just honestly like dropping so many really valuable pieces of information that I think, you know, a lot of us tend to learn the hard way through experiencing it ourselves. And I think sometimes when you have someone who puts what they've gone through and what they've learned so eloquently and is able to articulate it so well, it can give us our own kind of insight into our lives. And, you know, like even my personal experiences, I feel like I related a lot to what Shelby said and she, I had some light bulb moments. Um, so another huge shout out to Shelby. She is just so epic. Um, again, you can go read her article at The Mental Matchup. Um, if you want to get in touch with The Mental Matchup, if you want to come on the podcast or submit a story, you can get in touch with us at The Mental Matchup on Instagram or at thementalmatchup.com. And of course, another huge thank you to Morgan's Message for presenting this podcast. Um, we wouldn't be here without them and just forever grateful for, you know, what what we're building um, and what we're doing. And if you want to get in touch with Morgan's Message or follow along, you can find us at Morgan's Message on Instagram or at morgansmessage.org on, on the World Wide Web. Um, and finally, another huge, huge thank you, round of applause to you listeners, anyone listening. Um, I, yeah, I just am always... Every single week, every single day, so grateful for the community that we are building. And I'm just, thank you for listening. So I will see you next episode.